Out of Tons Little Files, and welcome to another episode. I didn't say it this time. A long overdue episode of uh, Escape of the Cave, Todd Zilla X-Pod. I'm Todd. Hi. Record date, November 8th, 2022. It is uh, election day. The midterms are today. I, uh, well, lots of things have changed the last couple of months. Since last we spoke, I think, I have this right. Has it been since I last released a full episode? I think it's been since August. Yeah. Now, if you're on YouTube, my things have changed. <laughs> Ignore that, okay? We uh, left the apartment. Let me let me rewind a little bit. I did record an episode or two last month, or actually uh, the month before last in September. Before we left, I got one last episode out and recorded before uh, we got out of the apartment. I never cut it up and released it. It's still sitting there. I intended to. I went back and listened to it. I liked it when I recorded it, and then I was like, I woke up the next day, I didn't cut it up, and then, you know, upload it immediately like I normally do. I wanted to sit on it for a minute. And then uh, woke up the next morning, which happens quite a bit. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I'm going to want to blah, blah, blah. I let it sit for a while. About a week, 10 days later, I went and listened to it. I'm like, that's pretty damn good. I should upload I should do the editing, and I should upload the damn thing. Meant to do it. And do it. <laughs> Sorry. It's pretty good. Thing is, these podcasts, the last several feel like, and that one included, that they're the same damn thing. That they're coming from the same place. I don't know what this podcast is going to be, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know if there's any hope for this thing really doing any good. It's a, it's an existential crisis as far as uh, podcasting goes. Well, what am I doing with this thing? What's it going to be? What's it going to end up being in the long run? I keep asking that question. I, I don't know. And here it is, the beginning of November 2022. We're creeping up to 2023 Thanksgiving is two, three weeks away. We're going to be into this new house here. Uh, I still don't know. I've intended, intended, intended to sit down. Intents don't mean a damn thing in this business. In any business, really. But I have. I've intended to sit down and record something. Feels like every day since uh, August. I just can't. And it comes down to, again, I'll touch on it one more time. It comes, I don't know what the hell the point of this thing is anymore. Probably have said it a hundred times. When I started this podcast in 2019 and it moved into the uh, propaganda expose or sort of an autopsy of the art of propaganda, what it is, what it really, uh, how it affects people, how it targets people, how it manipulates people, how people manipulate you with it. When it, started going that way, I thought there was hope. I thought that thumb of the butt, that, <laughs> the, you know, shining light on it would be a disinfectant. If you could tell people what it was, if you could show people how it worked, then at least, you know, <clears throat> the, the last vestige of hope that I had for human beings was that they would want to inoculate themselves with, that they would want to pursue the truth. I had a last shred of hope. The last piece of me that wasn't a cynic, 
wanted to believe wanted to believe that people were interested in the truth, primarily interested in the truth, that if you showed people the truth, they would follow it. I have always believed that. That was one of the primary things that I, that I, I got uh, caught up with 18 years ago. It led me to the traveling stuff. It, it would pursue truth. People are interested in the truth. Tell people the truth. People want to hear the truth. That has been long been foundational bedrock for who and what I am and what it is that I'm doing. Be it traveling, be it podcasting, writing, whatever it was, that was it. I was trying to get to the truth as close as I could. And I was trying to tell it the best that I could. So I took that attitude with, with propaganda material. I will learn about it. I will find the stuff. I will do the best that I can. I will find you know, how it works. I'll study the psychology of it, how it manipulates people psychologically, emotionally, and everything. I was thumb in the butt, naive, I guess. But it didn't take me long. Man, it took me about two months in September. Um, yeah, but probably about July and August of 2019, a couple of months after I started this. Where I started to see that yeah, there's a chapter in that book. It's right back there. And I talked about it on the show. You can go find it. Maybe I'll cut it up for you, make it easy on you. But there's, there's an episode back there where I talked about how Jacques Lule was writing about the need for propaganda. And when I, I, I saw those words, the need for propaganda, I just, I think somehow I knew. I think I understood that. That we have it because it's inevitable. It's part of who we are. And that eventually started to, to, to wear on me a little bit, to, to grate me down a little bit as far as the, the motivation for doing that material. Because when you start to see that, and you start to understand that there is an inevitability to this. That it's not just the poor people being taken advantage of. And you see the economic models in place. The supply and demand side of this. And people want it. People demand it. For-profit media companies have to provide it or say it with me. They go away. If there wasn't a demand for it, if people didn't want it, need it, maybe they need it. I don't know. Maybe it is a need. <laughs> I could make a very strong case that there is, that it's all about need. But that's the case, then what's the point? Right? What's the autopsy for? This isn't a case of we, the poor, innocent people, are being taken advantage of this victim culture. You know, there's a lot of people on the right. They like to talk about how there's a victim culture attitude that's sort of invading and polluting and toxifying the entire uh, fabric of the country, the culture right now. Victim culture. But there's an aspect of that that goes uh, throughout it. it. It doesn't have any, any ideological uh, bent to it. doesn't matter. The poor, innocent people being taken advantage of by the evil informational propagandists, the deceivers. People want it. I, I feel like I have to pull that weed and, and, and take that, that noxious plant and dry it and burn it. This idea that you're being taken advantage of 
You're not being taken advantage of. You're being given a product. You're being given a product that you demand. The need for propaganda, the want for propaganda, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The distinction does not matter one single bit. If it's a need or if it's a want. Either way, you demand it. We demand it. It's troubling. And you start to see that. You start to understand it. You start to sort of pull on that thread just a little bit. That's what I did. I wanted to figure out why. What is it? Why is that? Why are we so disinterested in the truth? Why are we so disinterested in reality? Long story short, realism is nihilism. If you look at the world and the universe as it really is, if you look at your life as it really is, and where it's really going, and where we really end up, based in truth, based in just truth, that's nihilism, man. This is the foundation of religion. It softens that edge. That's it. And then you get into, into things like cohesive narratives, tribal narratives, uh, these national religions that I like to talk about. But they're really, you know, going back through the evolutionary history of it, it's not just tri it's not tribal or, or national religions. It's tribalism. It's the story that keeps tribes together, bands together. We're tribal critters, tribal by nature, right? Remember that? But we're what binds us together. Why does this group stick together while this group over here sticks together and they fight each other? Why don't they just come together as why, you know, it seems like that would make a lot of sense? Because there's a different story, a different narrative, and a quest for dominance. Not only are we tribal, we're, we're, we're a little barbaric, we're a little combative, aggressive. Duh. Not breaking any news there. I hope I'm not. So you start pulling on this thread and you keep going, you keep going. And eventually what I got to, as is a while ago, it's been in my head for a long time. I mean, it's, kind of, it's popped up here and there and here and there and here and there. Uh, you, you come down to the ideological religions. It becomes a religion, a scripture, a story. What's the, not a foundational story, but what's the, like a story of creation, we're our God against their devil kind of thing. A good guy, bad guy, good versus evil, Hitler versus Hitler, if you want to use Matt Taibbi's a phraseology. But what it really boils down to, what's religion? It's a story. It's a narrative. It's a fiction. It's a fiction that explains the world, softens the edge, takes us, steers us away from that nihilistic destination. Gives us purpose. Gives us hope. There's another one right there. You've heard me talking about, about my own freaking podcast, for crying out loud. What's that missing? It's hope. Hope that I can do anything with it. That I can make a difference. That there's any utility to it. To hell with the money. I don't care about the money. I don't need the money. If that was all this was, I would be doing a very different podcast right now. I know how to make money with this. Pick a team. Rah, rah. The MSNBC Fox News model. That's how you make money doing this. You want to make money doing a podcast, pick a team and become, you know, that guy. Why are you going to make money? Because <laughs> the teams are already formed. The tribes are already formed. They need preacher man to come and tell them why they're good, why they're going to heaven, why those guys over there are evil and need to be eradicated. Tribalism, religion. And at the heart of that, at the heart of all of it, is Story time.
Storytellers, not truth seekers. Again, I thought we were. (laughs) I really did. And that was... uh, I've made some really silly mistakes. But, boy, that one was... That was fundamental. Because I think it it boils down to... I've made this accusation about other people before. What it boils down to is people who, who say things like that. They're really wanting to say it about themselves. But you can't say, well, I'm a truth seeker because that sounds ridiculous, right? So what you do is you apply that to everybody. You give everybody the mystical quality that you yourself, that you want yourself to have or you want other people to think you have. You can't say you have it. That's arrogance. That's pomposity, right? So you just say everybody's got it, but some people are just, they just haven't been enlightened yet like me. That's, that's the unsaid part. Like me is the unsaid part. I've run into innumerable people like this on the road traveling throughout Latin America. We're the evolution. These people are asleep. They haven't found the enlightenment that we have. This is a strain that infects liberalism worldwide. Woke flakes think that they are the evolution of the species. We're the enlightened ones. I've talked about this so many times. The chosen ones, the enlightened ones, the, the people that, that were you know, preaching about 2012, 10 years ago. Almost 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years ago since 2012. Believe that? Oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> It'll be 10 years. But that's what it was. I, I got back when I, when, I, when I started doing this. I was really interested in truth. I have... A real aversion to deception. This is a primal thing with your friendly neighborhood virtual Toddzilla. I can't stand being lied to. I can't stand being deceived. And I despise inauthenticity if I pick it up. You want to piss me off? You want to never talk to me again? Show me that side of you as it applies to me. So I started looking for the truth. I mean, I, I went hard at it. Tanaski. Tanaski Tapsim, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh... Vitam in Pandera Vero. Truth at all costs. Know thyself. Know the truth. Find the truth. Tell the truth. Because I wanted to believe that everybody had that in them because I needed to believe that I had it in myself. And I thought, naively, and this is one of the worst things, is that I, I just assumed that if you follow the truth far enough, it will set you free. Heard that before, right? The truth will set you free. That's a bunch of horse shit. The truth doesn't give a shit about setting you free. It doesn't care. The truth is a reptile. It does not care about your feelings. It doesn't care if you live or die. It's not going to make you feel good. And I can tell you this, if it does, if your quest for the truth is always making you feel like a good person and a good human being and always making you feel all warm and fuzzy, you're fucking doing it wrong. I promise you. I guarantee it. I didn't know that early on. It's getting to the point now where with the the propaganda material, that was the last shred of it. That was the last, I think, um, yeah, thread. Holding that sort of in place before when it finally snapped, I think, in 2020, whenever it was. When it finally snapped, boy, oh boy, you talk about nihilism. Hopelessness, cynicism, corrosive cynicism. Of course it's corrosive. 
The opposite of cynicism, I think, is hope. Opposite of nihilism, definitely, is hope. Having hope that people will evolve. People will grab onto this and gravitate toward, at least if, if, if they can't quite grasp truth, self-awareness. Trying to examine why it is we are where we're at. Why it is that there's going to be, that we're, we're starting in, in to, to fight, to brawl in what's going to be the great war of the 21st century, this information war. Why? What's wrong with the truth? Why, why is it that if there's an external truth, why is it that people refuse and are always fighting over it? If there's only one truth, it should be easy to see, right? Facts should change your mind. <laughs> well, there probably is one reality. The problem is, is that we're not interested in it. Not as a species, not as a collective unit. We're only interested in our story, our interpretation, our presentation of it, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it rarely has anything to do with genuine truth. It'll have little, I shouldn't say that, it'll have elements of it, little nuggets and tidbits of truth. It's all going to be, it's going to be distorted, exaggerated, full of hyperbole and dis, you know, distractions, distortions, uh, whatever. You get my point. People aren't interested. They're only interested in the truth when it supports their scripture, their story, their religion, their story of creation, whatever it is that puts them at the center of the universe and on the side of God. Once you understand that, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to present that to 7 billion people? who have zero interest in hearing anything about that. The only thing they want to hear is how that only applies to them. Not to us, to them. The other guys, the bad guys. What are you supposed to do with that? I'm open to suggestions here. Tonsillex, gmail.com. I'd love to hear it. But here I am. That's the funny thing. I'm still here. <laughs> I don't really quite know why. I'm trying to figure this out. I should have quit a long time ago. I should have quit probably when Brian quit back in 2020. In effect, I kind of did. I've only put out a handful of episodes in the last two full years. Well, a little less than that. He and I were doing them regularly. Up until uh, shortly after the election. And then, yeah, he quit. Just out of the blue. Just, yeah, just stopped showing up, <laughs> so to speak. And then when that happens, I'm like, all right, this is just, all right. I, I just, <sighs> and I try to, you know, motivate myself and try to pump myself up. And I, I, I think I did a couple maybe in 2021, but it's just, it's hard to sustain it without that hope. People, human beings need hope. They have to have that shiny uh, thing on the hill that they're, they're, they're trying to pursue. They're trying to reach. They have to have a goal. It's tied into that, that thing about socialism that I talked about. Why utopia? is always going to fail. It's always going to fail because when things are too good and people don't have anything to strive for, they get bored, they get disillusioned, they lose all motivation to do anything. you got to have hope. Sausage party or otherwise, people have got to have it. So I've, I have still have not found mine. I have not that well. I had it originally. I, <laughs> I want to be a change maker. Well, that's something. It is. And it was powerful. It was potent. 
But when that went away, it was never replaced by anything, and it still hasn't been. Part of me wants to just, you know, be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I'm just going to go anti-woke. I talked about this in the last episode I probably released in August. I could do that. I know how to do it. I can do it really well. But God damn it. (laughs) You anti-woke people, when you get too close to the Trump bomb, which is about ready to be, uh, uh, Jesus, triggered again this week. When you get too close to that, boy, there's no place to just sit down and just not be around idiots. There's about 16 people nationwide, I think, are legitimately centrists. Maybe 20. The rest of you, eh. it's like, yeah, I can go anti-woke, but, you know, the problem is, is then I've got to fucking make camp with all these Trump people. People that actually think Donald fucking Trump is the solution to anything. Then if I want to, you know, talk smack about Trump, if I want to criticize Donald Trump, then I've got to saddle up to people who think that men give birth. Come on, where is it? Where's the island? Where's the island of sane individuals? Really, where is it? I haven't been able to find it. I thought I found a few people. I thought I found a a few little oases here and there. But if you hang around too long, you start to figure out that these people are no better than the other ones. The vast majority of them, no. (laughs) And maybe, maybe there's something to this idea that if you're against something, eventually you get sucked into the black hole of the other extreme. There could be something to that. Maybe these folks, maybe these folks started out as sensible people. But as soon as they, you know, found how much they despised wokedom, wokeflakeism, maybe Donald Trump's gravity was too strong. Maybe it started to suck him in, and pretty soon they're starting to, you know, deny elections. Smart people, people aren't dumb, and this this is this goes on the other side, and it's a perfect analogy, a perfect photo negative analogy. People that hate Donald Trump so much. Go the other way. They get sucked into this other black hole by the gravity of this other extremism past the event horizon for 10 minutes, and all of a sudden they're starting to talk about men giving birth. Seriously. I'm going to use that phrase a lot because... (laughs) No. No. My prostate does not identify as a uterus, and neither does yours. Now, what are you supposed to do? (laughs) Good question. This is the Escaping the Cave podcast. I'm your friendly and congenial host. My name is Todd. Hello. I assume you know that. This is a podcast. I'm an old radio guy, so I do this whenever I come back from like a little break. (coughs) Sorry. Got the YouTube channel if you're listening to the podcast on... uh, your little podcatcher thingy. Get that uh, Tanzilla X. Ooh, they, you know they started doing handles on YouTube now? It's kind of cool. <laughs> I guess. <sighs> so I have a whole bunch of things that I wanted to talk about today. That first segment was just me taking a dump. Thanks for catching it in your ears. Appreciate that. 
These are interesting times. And the thing that finally got me off of my uh, butthole to, to record something is today is <laughs> the midterms. And this summer, this whole political... Uh, I should give you a little bit of a background here in case you're new. Based on the uh, listenership numbers and everything, I probably have some new people here. A couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt. I was like, you know what? He may not do it, but he's the only candidate who's out there who can be a uniter, who can actually pull this together, who can actually bring us together in some way, shape, or fucking fashion. I was willing to give him a chance. It's back there. Go listen to it. Probably in May or so of 2020, I talked about that. <laughs> Boy, it didn't take too long for him to, to completely lose me. He started to lose me a little bit before the election because you could tell ahead of time that Dementia Joe was slipping. You could see the cognitive decline almost in real time. I mean, the man is old. He's an elderly man. The job, the campaign, the stress has to be something that is borderline overwhelming for someone that age. It has to, I would think. I'm not a doctor. I'm just speculating here. But I'm just, if you're old and you're starting to, to, to mentally and cognitively, intellectually decline a little bit with old age, a job like that, a campaign like that, that kind of stress cannot be good for you. It may have accelerated, so I don't know. But you could see that. I didn't want to believe it. I was kind of hoping maybe he's just tired. Maybe, you know, the campaign, maybe COVID, all the, all the, the crap that was going on in 2020. Maybe. No. And then you could tell that uh, as soon as he got into office, yeah, within a couple of months anyway, in 2021, uh, he started pandering to the, the far left. And I, 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 I had a suspicion, a sneaking suspicion. that Did you notice how quiet... AOC and Talib and the rest of them were the woke flag, the 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 squad, the squad. Did you notice how quiet they all were in 2020? They just kind of went along with it. There were a few grumblings here and there, but yeah, you didn't hear too much from the Bernie Bros or the far left folks. At least in the establishment, you did from the rank and file twats, but you didn't hear anything <laughs> from sorry, uh, 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 the 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 people in uh, office, right? And I, I, that didn't, didn't sit well with me because Joe Biden is too much of an institutionalist. He's too much of an entrenched establishment guy. He, his history is not liberal. It's not far left. That can't be good. That can't sit well with these far left people. That was what I was thinking back in 2020, 2020, 2021. I was like, what's, something's going on. I'm really afraid that they're just biting their tongue, that there was some backroom deal. You know, it's politics. You have to work with people. You got to make agreements. With people got to make you know, little deals. That's the art of politics. you got to make compromises. And I was afraid that one of those compromises was that, you know what? If you don't say anything and you just help me get elected, you help me beat Trump this year, you can have, I'll, I'll, I'll swing way far over to the left. I'll give you a bunch of things you want. Just don't screw it up here in 2020. I was afraid that's what happened. That has to be it. Because as soon as he got in there, within two or three months, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What happened to centrist Joe? What happened to the guy who was supposed to bring us all together? 
You could even see it a little bit in the inauguration. I talked about this before, this very woke inauguration that took on this feel of the very woke commencement thing uh, that we had to endure. We didn't have to endure it. We, I chose to endure it back in 2020. <laughs> it's like poking a, a tooth with its nerve exposed. Anyway, but you could see it. You could see this, 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 this slide, this pandering, this handout filleting the cultural left, the far left. You'd see it. And then I think he completely lost me in 2021 with Afghanistan. And there have been certain indications. I didn't write all this down. I didn't intend to really go this far into it today. And maybe I'll go back and maybe I'll think about it. Maybe I'll I'll bring you some examples on the next show. Uh, But it's been pretty clear to me. I've had a pretty strong suspicion for well over a year, year and a half, that he's probably not even running anything. He's more of a sock puppet. I'm Joe Biden. And the, the hand up his ass is probably Kamala of color. Take a drink every time she reminds you that she's of color. Make sure it's a, a light drink. Don't want you dying on me. I don't have that many listeners. I can't have you dying alcohol poisoning. Uh, I just don't get the sense that he's in charge of much. And I haven't for a long time. So Joe, Joe Biden lost me. There's no way in hell he's running for office in 2024. They're never going to admit that. Today is the midterms. Later on is the midterm elections. I don't know how they went yet. By the time you listen to this, you probably do. But there's no way in hell that Joe Biden can announce that he is already a lame duck president before the midterms. He can't do that. But there is no way, no way he is going to be on that ticket in 2024. I don't care what he says. I don't care what anybody in the Democratic committee says. I don't care what what the, uh, whatever St. Pierre, whatever the fricker name is, the press secretary. I don't care what they say. He will not be on that ballot in 2024. And if Kamala Harris is, if she's somehow nominated that is the only woman, I think, in America who's liked less than Hillary frickin' Clinton and Casey Anthony. Those two women may be about the same, popularity-wise. Casey Anthony kills children. Kamala Harris is Kamala Harris. No way. So after what we've seen for the last couple of years, anyway, year and a half, whatever it's been, where do you think that party is going? Do you think it's going to come back to the center? Now, based on some of the things that I've seen, some of the articles that I've seen in the last couple of days, especially today or yesterday, I guess, Monday, the day before the midterms, they're expecting a bloodbath. They're expecting the Democrats to just get blown out of the friggin' water. They're lowering, they've been lowering expectations for two, three weeks now. They all summer, oh, abortion, uh, Roe versus Wade. You know, the one thing that people want is to kill babies. That's going to take us to the electoral promised land. Killing a fetus, destroying a fetus is the one thing that we have. Well, you know, prices on everything are skyrocketing. This is the thing they hold their hat on, hang their hat on, killing a fetus. And they're wondering why. What happened? What could have possibly happened with inflation running rampant? Everything that's going on economically. They hang their hat on killing babies and men giving birth. (laughs) This trans cultism. 
and they wonder what happened. What kind of, you don't even need an autopsy. Sometimes when somebody dies, you know the cause of death. You don't need to take the body into the morgue or wherever it is they do it and, and do an autopsy. You just don't need to do that sometimes. You don't need to do that this year. If that happens over the next 18 hours or so and the bloodbath manifests as expected, you know exactly why. Men giving birth... Abortion. They think that abortion is going to trump. <laughs> More on that coming. But abortion is going to trump. Somehow is going to trump inflation. The price of food. They think abortion is somehow more important than the price of food. They can't figure it out. They're like, oh, I, don't, I can't figure out what happened. Why are these polls the way they are? Axios. You know Axios, right? They used to have a show on HBO. Terrible piece of shit show. Uh, terrible. One of the worst things I've ever seen. I, ooh, you know, they canceled it. It didn't even last two years. On liberal HBO, didn't last two years. Terrible. They came out with an article talking about how people in the country, normal people, see the Democratic Party as way too extreme. Out of touch. The Economist. I found something that I think this came out in like maybe June or July. I mean, way back then, it was something that uh, where the Democrats need to start Moving away from their extreme and the extreme, their extremists, right? And it reminded me of something that could have been written 10 years ago in relation or in reference to the Republicans and the Tea Party. Well, what happened then? This goes back to my initial segment, the first segment. I'm talking about hope and I'm talking about, you know, cynicism and, 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 and sort of learning your lessons, <laughs> right? Becoming a little jaded, a little cynical. Well, what happened 10 years ago? Did the Republicans learn their lesson? Or did they double down? Did they moderate? If so, how did we end up with Donald Trump? Donald Trump is the bastard child of the Tea Party. QAnon is the bastard child of the Tea Party. That's the logical evolution of teabag extremism, is Trumpism. So now what's going to happen? Do you think that there's going to be some soul searching? You'll probably hear some people go on TV this week and be like, well, we really need to, we need to look inside ourselves as a party. We need to figure out who it is and how we lost the message and why people don't relate to us. This will go on for about two or three weeks. It went on, I think, with the Democrats probably in, or I'm sorry, the Republicans, maybe in 2012 after Obama. Well, you remember that? They got kind of, uh, there's a little bit of a backlash. Like they, they kicked everybody's ass in 2010. Republicans did. And there was a bloodbath. Paul Ryan and all these other guys came in on. And then... Later on, it, might, it was either 10 or 20, or I'm sorry, 2012 or 2014, I, I forget, where they just got destroyed. The Republicans got destroyed and they were like, well, we need to do some soul searching as a party and figure out who it is we are, what it is we stand for, and why we're, we, we're not appealing to all that many people. <laughs> and then came Donald Trump. That's what's going to happen here. They're not going to moderate. They're not going to move away from woke flakeism. They're not going to move away from the trans cult. CRT, and the rest of this crap, they're not going to do that. If they were ever going to do that, they would have done it after Biden was elected. They would have moved to the center then instead of pandering to the far left. So what's going to happen? They're going to give this lip service. They're going to you know, feel all introspective for a little while. 
And then they're going to have to come back twice as hard. They're going to have to double down on it because the one thing you cannot te- show in politics, you cannot show weakness, you cannot admit you were wrong about anything. And you can't do that as a political party. You lose all of your credibility moving forward. They can't do it. And they're not going to do it. They're going to get their, probably going to get their asses beat this week. Thank God. Thank God. I hope it, I hope it's just I, historic. I turned in my liberal card with men giving birth. I still have liberal leanings. I still have, you know, universal health care, things like that. So social safety nets. Yeah, I still believe in that stuff, but I don't consider myself a liberal anymore. Any ideology that wants me to believe, wants me to inhale the noxious fumes of men give birth and then call themselves the party of, that follows the science. Now, I don't know what I am. There's no place for me. But I'm not that. <laughs> I can tell you. I'm never, ever, ever going to put myself, I'm not ever going to walk into that tent willingly. And, and millions and millions and millions of people are the same way. They're sick of this. They're sick of being told this, this, this sold this bill of goods, told to believe something that goes against common sense, goes against their own eyeballs. This is the George Orwell thing where they want you to believe these things that go against your own experience, your own eyes. What it is you're seeing with your own eyes, they want you to discount that, discard that in favor of the doctrine, in favor of the scripture, in favor of the party line. They can no longer call themselves the party that follows the science. This reminds me with the, the men giving birth thing and this whole gender ideology stuff. It reminds me of people on the other side who go and find their own little scientists because they don't want to believe in global warming. So they go find people, any scientist, scientist, who will say anything that fits into that climate denialism uh, train of thought. That's what this reminds me of. Yeah, oh, we got to refollow. We found scientists that say that gender and gender is smurfing or whatever. Okay. All right. Well, that means that men can really shut up. Just shut up. Stop it. You're not getting any quarter here. You are getting zero quarter here. And if that's what you believe, and that's what you expect me to believe, if you're going to look me in the face and tell me that, (laughs) with a straight face and expect to be taken seriously on anything else, it isn't going to happen. Not here. I am not alone. The worm has finally started to turn. Thank God. Thank God. But don't expect, don't expect them to become introspective and ask themselves, gee, what did we do wrong and how can we change? It just isn't going to happen as a political party, as part of the one zero binary. The political binary in this country, you cannot do that. You cannot signal that kind of weakness because as soon as you do, you are done. the Escaping Cave Podcast. I'm Todd. Hi. Don't forget uh, YouTube. Have I mentioned that? I don't have any sponsors. So I just mentioned my own crap. I got YouTube. Got a website, escapingthecave.com. I never do anything with it. I do some stuff with Substack. I haven't done anything there either. I haven't done anything in a long time. Mostly just the podcast and YouTube. I've started droning. Not on and on and on. Ha ha ha. 
No, like flying a drone. And shooting video and editing video and uploading video of me flying a drone. It's fun. It's a fun little hobby. I like it. That's on the YouTube page. Got some travel stuff. So I was getting back there in the rearview mirror, man. I've got a video that I shot in the jungles of Palenque, Mexico. <sighs> back in 2012, when the world was supposed to end, I was there with a bunch of uh, hippies. Rainbow people. Yeah. I was a different man then. <laughs> anyway, that's it, uh, the YouTube channel. You got to uh, go dig back and check out the playlists and all that stuff. If you want to see the travel material, uh, podcast stuff's in there. Whatever. Tonsillax, that's the name of it. I'll have some of this stuff up there eventually. You're going to get the uh, audio podcast first. Hopefully today, uh, as far as the uh, midterms go, and then I'll sort of start, I don't know, easing the video clips out eventually. I don't release uh, big, full, long, uh, epic, hour-long podcast episodes. This is too much work. <laughs> this is enough. I'd rather record more than have to do that kind of work uh, on a podcast. But I do upload clips, so go look for all that stuff. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. If you're a returning listener, thank you for the patience. I know a few of you out there have been very supportive over the last few years and uh, been very patient as I try to figure this stuff out. So thanks for uh, that. I don't say that enough. I should, I guess. We'll get used to it, jerks. Something I wanted to mention before I move away from the politics stuff. There's a couple of different things, actually. I'm a little out of practice, so I've got to backtrack a little bit. But uh, John Fetterman? Is that his name? John Fetterman? Fetterman, the guy from uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. What a, what a clusterfuck this is. I didn't watch one minute of the uh, debate against Mehmet Oz a week or two back. I didn't watch any of it. I didn't need to watch any of it. We knew exactly how that was going to go. The guy should have dropped out. The, the Democratic Party, whoever was in charge in Pennsylvania, should have put someone else up. They should have demanded that he withdraw from the race. I don't know how, the, I don't know how any of that works. I confess that I don't understand how all of that goes. But there's no way that he should be on the ballot. And, and there's no way that he should be debating anybody. Maybe a year ago before the stroke, fine. Really, it's a microcosm of where we are as a country that we basically have a snake oil salesman, Dr. Oz, and all these people who are trying to prop him up as something. Oh, he's a, he's a fine man. He's a, he's a good doctor. He's going to do a great... He's Dr. fucking Oz. This is not a politician. This is not somebody you want representing you in government, especially now, in the age of Trump. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear how you think he might do a good job. He's on your damn team. That's why you think so. If he was a Democrat, the people who are saying this, if he were a Democrat, they'd be saying the exact same thing that the Democrats are saying about him now. You know it. I know it. Everybody freaking knows it. So you've got Dr. Snake Oil, Snake Oil Salesman over here and Forrest Gump now on the other side. I'm sorry. I'm sorry what happened to him. It's terrible. It's terrible that that happened to him, especially now in his life as a human being. For him, that's terrible. As a political entity, I don't care. He needs to go. That performance that he put on in that debate, I saw a few clips, but everybody understands what happens. Everybody understands that he is cognitively compromised. I don't care about his doctor's note. 
I got a doctor's note saying something right here. I'm gonna... No, I don't care. I don't care about that any more than I cared about Donald Trump getting his doctor's note a couple of years ago. I remember, everybody was all a uproar about that. All these Democrats were, oh, my God, well, he can just get that from anybody. But when it's Fetterman, when it's their guy, well, you see, oh, yeah, the doctor said it's okay, so he's really okay. No. This is where we are as a country. Forrest Gump against the snake oil salesman. Oprah's boy. And Oprah doesn't even, Oprah didn't even endorse him. Oprah endorsed Fetterman. This is where we are. This is the cusp. This is how idiocracy happens. This is the, the, the sideshow, the sideshow shit show that our politics has become. And the Democrats know this. They know it's a shit show. You know how I know? Somebody is running John Fetterman ads here in Michigan. They have been for like a week. And these are ads that were shot or are at least using clips of Fetterman before the stroke. They're putting these clips up like this is him now. It's not him now. He was at an event or something the other day. And they have a clip. He can't do it. He he cannot orate. And that's half the job. Articulating your positions. Getting up in front of people, the state, whatever, wherever it is, and articulating your position. If you can't talk, how do we know that you can you can write law? How do you know? How do we know you can do anything? How do you know? How do we know how functional your brain still is if you're not capable of articulating what's going through it? Take you at your word, Mr. Politician? Really? Is that what we're supposed to do? The Democrats are running these ads here in this state using old clips, pre-stroke clips, when he wasn't Forrest Gump. Because they're doing damage control. They know that debate was a fiasco. And they're trying to, they're trying to save, not, not Fetterman's uh, political campaign. Why spend money in Michigan on that, right? It's not about Fetterman. It's about the Democratic brand. They know that he damaged the brand. His existence in this campaign, being who he is now, damages their brand, their credibility as a political party. So they are trying to repair that. Are these ads running in any other state? They have to be, right? Why would they be running just in Michigan? They're great ads. I'd vote for that guy. I liked Fetterman a year and a half ago. Like, yeah, I like that guy. Now? No. Go home. Get some treatment. Get out of the political arena. For the love of God, please. There's one other thing about the Democrats. Two things happened in this election cycle outside of the the men giving birth crap. Uh, One of those being the DCCC decided it was going to be a good idea to fund Trump candidates. Give money to Donald Trump-backed candidates. Fund their campaign against more moderate, sensible, centrist Republicans in the primaries. Thereby thinking, well, if they win, then they might be easier to beat come November, come today, right? That happened right here in Michigan, not in my district, but just north of us, up around Grand Rapids, John Gibbs. I'm sure you've heard his name. If you're plugged in politically on a regular basis, you know who John Gibbs is. He was backed by Donald Trump. He went up against Pete Meyer. I like Pete Meyer a lot. Redheaded guy, he's a veteran. 
He got his ass on the ground over there in Afghanistan while he was in office. He was the guy who was elected and uh, Justin Amash's seat. That that seat is cursed. There's something. Ugh, wow. Last few years. Good God. Anyway, DCCC decided they were going to fund John Gibbs, the Republican. The Democratic Committee is going to fund John Gibbs, the, the Trump-packed Republican, against a centrist, a sensible Republican. Because they know that they'll have a better chance, Hillary Skelton will have a better chance at beating John Gibbs than, than she'll have of beating a qualified Republican. Do you know how they know that? Is that she ran, I do believe she ran against Pete Meyer and got beat last time around. She couldn't beat him before. They pretty much know they're not going to beat him again with her, with Hillary Skelton. I'm Hillary Skelton. She, she just, there's something about it. That voice drives me up the freaking wall. I'm Hillary Skelton. She sounds like somebody that would be at Whole Foods. I'm going to get an organic chicken. Oh, but I'm vegan. Oh. I can't stand her. She's not in my district. I don't have an, I don't have a dog in that fight up there. Other than the fact that it really, that was, that might've been the thing. That might have been the thing. That with the men giving birth thing, that did it for me. You're going to back a Trump candidate? They basically funded his entire campaign. John Gibbs. And now they're running ads. The same people who funded him, who backed his entire candidacy, for the most part. And now they're running these ads about how evil he is. Well, why did you fund him? We're the party of principle. Ha, 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 ha. Are you now? Are you now? Are you the party of weak candidates? Done. No way. And you can you can go ahead. If you're a, a liberal guy, girl, whatever you are, somewhere in between, you go ahead and you rationalize that in your head all you want to. I got involved with the Libertarian Party out in Colorado. I like to tell this story quite a bit. Back uh, 2005, 2000, I think, I guess it was 2006. That's where I met Michael Corbin. Radio guy, conspiracy guy who believed in lizard people. <laughs> anyway, I got involved with those people and they had on their little business cards, the party of principle. Now, there's a difference between saying you have principles and actually having them. How principled can you be if you're funding a candidate who you think is insane? Who's a threat to democracy? Election deniers are threats to democracy. We've been hearing about this. Oh, democracy's on the ballot this week. Because if you elect all these election deniers, all these Trump candidates, oh my God, democracy dies. Then why the fuck did you fund one? Or several? Take your principle, take your party of principle and shove it up your donkey butt. I do not want to hear it anymore. The only thing I want to hear less is how men give birth. You're lost. Completely lost as a party, as a political entity. And the only thing you can do now is double down and lurch further to the left. Watch. Todd Stradamus has spoken. Hmm. Oh, this is fun. World Series. Let's go to baseball. <laughs> World Series was <laughs> wrapped up over the weekend. Houston Astros uh, beat the Philadelphia Phillies six games. That was one of the most entertaining World Series I've seen in a long time. A long time. I love my baseball. And uh, Justin Verlander, former Tiger, finally got a World Series win, won his second title with the Astros since he was traded there in 2017. That was nice. 
I was rooting for the Phillies, though. Uh, not because of the sign ceiling or anything like that. Whatever. That's, that's done. That team's a dynasty. It's an incredible team. If they win the World Series, I'm fine with it. My thing was Bryce Harper. I wanted to see him in the World Series. I wanted to see how he would perform. That guy is unlike any baseball player, almost unlike any baseball player I think I've ever seen. This kid was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at the age of 16, being being called the chosen one. He's baseball's LeBron James. He's lived with that hype and that pressure <laughs> since he was a kid. He basks in it. He hit a bottom-of-the-eighth-inning home run, one of the, the most epic home runs in baseball history to put the Phillies in the World Series, in the championship series. I, I really wanted to see him uh, play in the World Series, and I wanted to see him win. I like Philadelphia. I do. I like the Phillies. My thing with baseball, I like any team that's been around 100 years. I can't stand the San Diego Padres. I despise them just because they're the Padres. The Tampa Bay Rays, go away. Retract. Get rid of them. <laughs> the D-bags. The D-bags. Any team like that who hasn't won anything and hasn't been around very long, to hell with them. Don't care. I like my old teams. Giants, Dodgers, Cubs, even the White Sox a little bit. The Indians. Have you seen my, uh, can you see my Indians hat back there? Chief Wahoo lives, fuckers. I even got a Redskins hat, see that? Incidentally, those things are hard to find. The Chief Wahoo hats and the Redskins hats, they're getting increasingly hard to find. I bought three Chief Wahoo Cleveland Indians hats. I'm going to resell them. You want one? Tonsillex, gmail.com. They are. They're hard to find. They're going to be collector's items. Anyway, I like old teams. World Series this year <clears throat> was the first World Series since the 1950s. I forget exactly what year. Where, you ready for it? There wasn't a black player on either team, on either roster. <laughs> that's, that's unimaginable 20, 30 years ago. Dusty Baker, black manager. Good for him. He's been around managing baseball forever. I don't know if he's got 2,000 wins, but something like that. I mean, and he finally got his first title. Everybody's happy for him. I'm happy for him. But it was a, a, a sort of a theme, a running thing all week about, oh, my God, baseball has a problem because they don't have any black players. Why don't they have any black players? It must be a racist thing. Now, baseball has been pandering to black kids to start playing baseball for years. And baseball in the inner cities programs all over the place. Black kids don't want to play baseball. This has nothing to do with Major League Baseball or inclusivity or any of this other crap. Black kids want to play football and they want to play basketball. These elite athletes, elite black athletes, are going to the NBA and to the NFL. It's easier. Part of their culture. Basketball. You think baseball is part of the, the black experience? Maybe it used to be. No. And it's a hell of a lot harder a lot more people wash out in the minor leagues trying to get to the major leagues in baseball than they do in the NFL and the NBA. It's as simple as that. You get drafted in the second round in the NBA, you've got a chance to start or at least be on the roster next year. You get drafted in the, the third or fifth round, the equivalent in Major League Baseball, you're not going to be in the major leagues for four to five years. You're probably going to wash out. The odds of somebody getting drafted into a major league organization and getting to the show and then actually performing and making money in major league baseball is infinitely lower than it is in the NBA and the NFL. And it's part of the culture. Basketball and football is more part of the black culture than baseball is. 
Baseball understands this. They've seen this coming for years and years and years. They lament it. They want the black players back. They do. They want their Hank Aarons, their Willie Mays, Reggie Jacksons, Bob Gibsons, Barry Bonds. It's not any conspiracy or systemic racism to keep black players out of Major League Baseball. That's the implication that you've heard all week for, I don't know, 10 days. That's the implication that the woke flag media is trying to uh, put across to everybody. No, it's not. It's a lack of diversity. Is it? Are you sure? Hmm. The, the uh, level of white players hasn't really changed all that much. You know where those positions, those roster spots went? Latinos. Latin players. Something like 30-40% of Major League Baseball now is Latino. They're the ones that took the roster spots that black kids don't want anymore. It's not a lack of diversity. You want to talk about a lack of diversity? Look at the NBA. Where is my representation? I don't see myself represented in the NBA. I don't feel like I'm not seeing myself there, and I don't feel like I can quite make it because I don't see myself on the court of play. There's where your lack of diversity is. The National Basketball Association. A LeBron? Going to be campaigning for some diversity? No, it's not a lack of diversity when it's white folks. Anyway, I'll say it again. This year's World Series, even with, with no black players, was one of the most entertaining World Series I have seen in years. Jose Altuve, uh, Pena, the shortstop, he won the uh, championship and the World Series MVP. Took over for Carlos Correa <laughs> at shortstop. Uh, Yuri Gurriel, he's Cuban. He's like 38, 39 years old now. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. Jordan Alvarez. Is he Cuban as well? I, I forget where he's from. He hit the, the huge, a huge three-run home run in uh, game six to, to ice the series for the Astros. Another, I mean, they're all over the place. These are wonderful ballplayers. I don't care if they're black, white, brown, green, whatever they are. They're phenomenal ballplayers. I'd love to see more black players, but if they don't want to play, if they'd rather go play basketball or football, don't sit there and blame the institution of Major League Baseball for putting up bars around the, the stadium, keeping them out when they're not. They're keeping themselves out. It's up to them. They can do that if they want to. Don't sit there and whine about it. Don't, don't sit there and you know act like it's a big conspiracy, a big racist conspiracy to take us back to 1942. No. Anyway, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed uh, the World Series once again this year. And got to say, to be honest with you, though, glad the baseball season's over. It's going a little long these days. It hasn't felt bad today. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. I got started kind of late. Didn't really have much of a roadmap. Had a couple of notes here, just basically topical stuff. One little page. That's my that's my notes for the day. But this has felt pretty good. Best feeling podcast, I think. The most normal, I should call it the most normal feeling podcast. I've probably done in at least a year or so. So, uh, make sure you check out the website. As I said earlier, if you want to, you can check out the Substack, Tonzilla X, also Tonzilla X. That's the big one over at uh, YouTube. So, I'll probably remind you again before I go. One more thing that I wanted to get to today, I pretty much have to get to, is Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk finally closed on the sale, of course. You've all heard about that if you're on social media at all or have you know maybe not been in a cave exclusively for the last couple of weeks. The drama surrounding this is hilarious. <laughs> I, I am on Twitter. 
uh, at ETC Pod. I don't do much on there. I basically lurk and I'll, I'll drop comments here and there. Uh, but I don't, I don't really uh, post much of my own stuff. I got to tell you, Twitter has been really entertaining the last couple of days. I remember right around the insurrection, remember around January 6th, that was about the point in time where conservative type people were disgusted with Twitter. They were disgusted with what they thought was censorship and they wanted to go, you know, find their own place, find a place where they could express themselves freely. So they ventured off to uh, pastures like Parlor and eventually Getter. Well, now that Elon Musk has taken over and all of these conservative type people are kind of coming back, anecdotal evidence about uh, how uh, their followers are back. They don't feel like they're shadow banned anymore. You know, all anecdotal. Nobody really knows if that's true or not. But now it's the liberals who are running off, being scurried away off to places like Mastodon. I never heard of it. Now, that's the big one now. And there's another one aptly called Tribal. That's another one where the liberals are going. But now it's the conservatives saying, ha, 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 bye. Don't let the door hit you. But the liberals are taken off now because apparently free speech has been, I don't know, liberated? That's a, a step too far. Now they got to go and they got to find their own, their own special little platform where they can freely censor. <laughs> I don't get it. But it's just funny. It, it happens a lot where the two sides end up sort of mirroring each other a year or two later. The liberals are doing what the conservatives were doing a year and a half ago. And when he took over... Uh, Musk had to deal with uh, demands. Oh, we demand this. We Twitter employees demand this, 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 and this, and this. That didn't go well. He ended up laying off half the staff like he said he would. Uh, but he also had a lot of companies, a lot of really big companies. Spent a lot of money on that platform, apparently. Decided they were going to put things on pause to see how it went. He started, according to his own numbers anyway, started losing about $4 million a day. Which gave cover basically for the fact he was going to pare down the entire uh, workforce of Twitter, cut it in half. Well, I have to. I'm losing $4 million a day. You guys did this. So, yeah, and that, 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 that got a little weird. I sensed a little bit of panic in some of the stuff that he was posting. You know, he came along, and as I said earlier, he, was a, he, he called himself an, uh, a free speech absolutist. But then when the advertisers started leaving, he started talking about how he was going to be, you know, content moderation was still going to be in place. It's still going to be a priority here at Twitter. You can't have it both ways, Elon. You can't be a free speech absolutist <laughs> and a content moderation zealot. You can't do it. You can't walk. You can't straddle that line. The surest way to ruin in a situation like this is trying to appease everybody. Trying The surest way to ruin just about everything is trying to make everybody happy, but especially this one, especially for him. You can't do that. He loses all credibility. Yeah, he seemed a little blindsided by the advertiser boycott. Again, this is where the liberals are turning into the conservatives of 20, 30, 40 years ago. It used to be the religious nuts who were talking about boycotting everything. Yeah. Oh, they're not good Christian companies. We need to organize a boycott. And all the other liberals, I was included. I was with them. It's like, what the hell's the matter with you? You don't like it, don't go. It's fine. You don't have to tear the entire structure down. You don't have to shut them completely down because you disagree. Just don't go there, right? Why do you got to shut it down for everybody? Why do you have to force them to be who you think they should be? That was a big problem for, for liberals when conservatives were doing it 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
focus on the family and the research council, whoever these other people were. I forget now. Guess what? Shoes on the other foot. Now it's cool. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of that Nietzsche quote. How do you say that? Is it Nietzsche? 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 Whatever. Friedrich. We'll call him Freddy. That quote of his, be careful fighting monsters lest you become a monster. A lot of the aspects, a lot of liberals are becoming the things that they despised not too many years ago. Another thing that uh, Elon said later on was that he's never going to censor accurate information. Now, here we are again. How do you define that? Who defines what's accurate? Accurate according to who? We've been here before. Zuckerberg tried to you know, deal with this Ministry of Truth thing. Twitter tried to deal with it before. You're either a free speech absolutist or you're not. You can't have it both ways. You're going to have to eventually have an arbiter of truth, a truth ministry. If that's your goal, making sure that everything on the platform is accurate, you can't be a free speech absolutist. You're going to have to determine what's true and what isn't. You're going to have to have fact checkers again. You're going to have the same problem that Facebook and Twitter have had for years. This is just the opening salvo. This is going to be the problem in perpetuity as the gates to informational hell have been flung open by this technology. Everybody having a voice. Everybody having an opinion. Everybody saying this, that, and the other thing. Trying to sound like they know what they're talking about. You're going to be deluded, deluged, <laughs> deluded too, but deluged with information. Drowning in data. Drowning in this information that I've talked about so many other times. Who do you believe how do you know who to believe? Now, if you're Elon Musk or you're Mark Zuckerberg and you have this platform, this massive platforms with millions and millions and billions of people in Facebook's example, you have to decide for those people, at least the people using your platform, what you say is true. You have to become that truth ministry. <laughs> Good luck with that. This isn't going to end well. This isn't going to get better. I've said this before. I mentioned this uh, a couple of days ago. You know, I said back in 2009, I like to toot my own horn because nobody else will. I have to do it. Uh, uh, but back in 2009, I said uh, that uh, the coming conservative backlash is going to make uh, the Bush years seem like Camelot. Prophetic, right? Todd Stradamus got that one right. One of the things that I've also said, I said this a couple of years ago, and I've said it repeatedly over and over and over again, is that the great war of the 21st century is going to be fought not on a battlefield, but over information. With the unleashing of this technology, everybody having a voice, democratizing opinion, democratizing fact. Well, my facts are just as good as your facts. That's my opinion. And all these outlets, <laughs> knowing how to exploit. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's the avenue that I have to take with this podcast is maybe I have to move forward with that information, that, that sort of that autopsy on propaganda, so at least the people that do want to understand it can understand it, because these are the techniques that are going to, that are going to be used en masse against millions and millions and millions and billions of people over the next, the next decades, the coming decades. This isn't going to get better. It's not going to go away. This is only going to get worse as the torrent opens up, as that, as that valve is opened up even more, and more access and more data and more information can just be spewed out into cyberspace and bukkakeed all over everyone, whether they want it or not. Who are you going to believe? Who is going to be the arbiter of truth? How are you going to be able to detect 
who's trying to deceive you and who isn't. Do you know how to do that? Do you know what techniques to look for? I can tell you one, euphemisms. Word napping. I'll give you a good example. Gender-affirming care. That's a euphemism. Always follow the euphemism. Why? Because they're trying to change the meaning of something. They're trying to disguise and distract you from something. It sounds a lot better to say, we're giving children gender-affirming care than to say, we're going to give a child a sex change. Doesn't it? Who would be in favor of giving a young child a sex change procedure? Not very many people, but hey, if it's gender-affirming care, this is like abortion. Women's health care. Really? Is that what that is? Sometimes maybe, but a lot of times, now, <laughs> that's after-the-fact contraception. Women's reproductive rights. Is that what that is? Nobody's forcing you to have sex with anybody. Nobody's forcing you to get pregnant. You still have a right not to get pregnant. At what point does the child, the fetus, have a right to live? That's the question. So it's not just reproductive rights, is it? Euphemisms. Always follow the euphemism. It's concealing something. That's one way. Word napping. Changing the meanings of words. Racism. Racist. It only exists, it's only targeted at white people. Black people can't be racist. Well, that's not what the meaning of the word is. Racist doesn't have, it's not directed at one race. I could go off on a tangent here, but maybe that's where I do need to take this podcast because that's the one thing. As this gets worse, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse because we're not slowing down on the technology. The technology is not backing off. This isn't going to slow down. They're not going to throttle this back in the coming years and decades. This is, this is a problem that's making itself apparent now. That's only going to get worse in the coming years. The great war of the 21st century is that of information. Being able to decipher what's real and what isn't. Becoming and remaining tethered to reality. That's the fight of the century. Knowing what's real. Knowing what's true. We may not win that fight. I'm sorry to say it. I want to be optimistic. I know you need hope. I was talking about this earlier. I do too. But we might not. There's no guarantee we will. And the indications to me anyway, that that's not going to happen. Unless we change something. Unless there is that evolution in self-awareness. An evolution in species-wide humility. To understand that we're flawed. That our tools of perception are skewed, scratched, distorted. That we don't see things as they are, we see things as we wish them to be. That we are storytellers. That we are not truth seekers. How many people do you really think understand that? How many people do you think are willing to accept that? Even if you were to show it to them. Show them the evidence. Incontrovertible evidence. If you showed it to them, how many people would say, hmm, yeah, okay, well maybe I ought to start looking at myself and how I see things. and maybe I. How many people would you? Would I? I have. It's hard. <laughs> it takes me a long time. It took me years. I was talking earlier in the opening segment about truth, right? About this quest for truth and how, you know, uh, how I wanted to believe that people were, were truth seekers. And I was a truth seeker. It took me more than a decade to see the folly in that. I mean, there were indications. I kind of edged here and edged there. I, I, I'd fall into this cynical. It wasn't cynicism. It was realism. How did I put that? I had a 
neat way of saying this once upon a time, that realism looks like cynicism to the delusional. I think that's perfect. Realism looks like cynicism to the delusional. It's true. And there's a real fine line between realism, cynicism, and good luck staying out of nihilism. Because if you, if you, there, there may be an evolutionary need for this, for this sort of self-delusion. I've got a great book, and this is where I'll wrap the podcast up. I know I'm getting long, but I got to pick this up uh, last week. Book by Robert Trivers called Deceit and Self-Deception. If you're on YouTube, I'm, I'm holding it up. If you're just on the uh, audio podcast, that's why I'm uh, talking that way. Uh, the subtitle is Fooling Yourself the Better to Fool Others. And it talks about the evolution of self-deception, the evolution of social deception, and how self-delusion might be an evolutionary tool that enabled us to deceive others. Status, not malicious, it's, it's social standing. Evolved in small tribes. It was important to have status. If you wanted to get laid, you wanted to have kids, you wanted to, to breed, you had to have some kind of status, right? No different than today. You want the, 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 the prime women, you better make some money. Better have a little status. So, yeah, it's uh, an evolution in self-awareness. That's required. And if we don't, you know, figure that out at some point soon, if that doesn't come along, oh, where is it? we're definitely not going to make it. So maybe that's, maybe that's my, my avenue there. That to at least, you know, finish the, the project up, print it, finish the, the track that I was on once upon a time. A couple of years ago, as sort of a preparatory course for what's coming the rest of the century, the next 180, 100 years. Because again, it's not going to get any better. It can't get any better. People aren't getting any more sophisticated, but the propaganda, the technology sure as hell is. This is Escaping the Cave Podcast. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. YouTube, Tonzilla X, that's me over there. You can check out the website, escapingthecave.com. Also over at Substack, Tonzilla X there. You want to check out the drone videos over there at the YouTube channel. i got a couple more I'm going to produce here in a couple of days. Those are fun. Travel videos there too, they're fun. What else I got? Anything else? I got a raspy voice all of a sudden. My voice is better. It's not strong. <laughs> thanks for clicking in again. Thanks for your patronage. We'll talk to you next time. So long.